Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome into Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. My goodness, what a day. One of those uh, one of those momentous days in world football for all the wrong reasons. We will get into the news out of Zurich uh, in just a couple of minutes, lining up this program today. Eric Gomez covering Mexican football. He'll join us in just a bit. Plenty to talk about down in Mexico. The Liga playoffs, Carlos Vela, and whether or not he ends up in MLS. That uh, word may come as early as Sunday. Chicharito Hernandez tie, uh, tearing it up in Germany. Uh, Piojo at Tijuana and what uh, changes he'll be making there as he attempts to get Cholos back on top of uh, Liga MX. Uh, but let's hit the news because, again, it is a momentous day in world football. And again, it's probably for all the wrong reasons. We start with the overnight raid of a FIFA, I'm sorry, of the Zurich Hotel, the same Zurich Hotel, uh, where arrests were made previously by Swiss officials. Uh, they execute a pre-dawn arrest of 12 FIFA officials per word out of Zurich. CONCACAF President Alfredo Hawit and Commonwealth President Juan Angel Naput are among those arrested. Both of those individuals FIFA vice presidents, obviously we know that Hawit was replacing Jeffrey Webb, who was arrested. This is a, a debacle, a mess, another situation to deal with for both of these confederations. It seems to be it seems to be honed in, focused on the Americas, but I think that's probably because of the resources available to the Department of Justice. And make no mistake, the U.S. Department of Justice requested these arrests, and they will be holding a 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time press conference on the on this raid the arrest comes just as fifa has announced approval of a list of reforms in fact fifa is holding a a, a a press meeting right now to go over those reforms we had dr carrard who's the head of the fifa reform committee outlining uh, outlining a bunch of reforms using using slides to do so sending uh, acting fifa president isa hayatu into a coma well sending him to uh, sleep anyway. Uh, the gentleman fell asleep during the event. Uh, so we, we have this very odd situation where FIFA again has been raided, numerous officials arrested, and yet they continue to go along business as usual or business with this notion of reform, questions of whether or not these reforms will do any good. Sam Borden of the New York Times reports that these arrests will have no impact on Copa America 2016 if you were concerned about that. All right, so that's the unfolding story of the day. We'll keep an eye on things coming out of Zurich. We'll keep an eye on Sam Borden's Twitter feed, and we'll try to uh, update you as events warrant. Sebastian Javinko, the 2015 MLS MVP, he wins in a landslide, as you would expect. The first player in league history to score 20-plus goals and provide twenty, uh, sorry, 10-plus assists. He scored 22 goals and had 15 assists this season. The Italian international was in his first year in the league after joining from Juventus, uh, Kai Kamara finished a distant second. Benny Failhaber of Sporting Kansas City finishing third. Those were your three finalists for the award. Interesting events in Spain yesterday in the Copa del Rey. Real Madrid uh, played a player that was probably suspended, and now they could be kicked out of the tournament for fielding said ineligible player. Madrid started Denis Cheryshev against Cadiz. In the tournament, Cheryshev should have been ineligible due to uh, three yellow cards that he picked up while playing for Villarreal in the Copa del Rey last year. Uh, but no one seemed to realize this was happening until he was already on the field. Uh, the fans got word there at Cadiz and started chanting, uh, Rafa, check your Twitter feed. That was 
uh, what I heard on ESPN FC from Sid Lowe last night. Madrid's fate could come down to whether or not Cadiz submits a formal complaint. All signs point to them doing so. So that could be trouble for Rafa Benitez and Real Madrid. Uh, something about a fax machine. I, I don't know what's going on this morning. We'll keep you updated on the news there. The commercial rights for that 2016 Copa America tournament that I mentioned have uh, have been awarded. Remember, they were originally held by a company called Datisa, which was uh, implicated in the corruption uh, that uh, that came from that last round of uh, FIFA arrests. Uh, the the price tag on the original rights was 112 million dollars. Uh, this is reportedly a much smaller deal. Soccer United Marketing and IMG have won the bidding on the commercial rights, but this is just another step along the way to that tournament coming together to full fruition. Uh, I'm tracking some news out of uh, South America. Uh, my friend Gringo Mark on Twitter has already hit me to the fact that there may be um, th- there may be some some countries who don't take this tournament as seriously as we would like them to, and we'll send a B team. Let's hope that's not the case again. Uh, this tournament is only as strong as the teams that show up. If if Argentina comes with a B-side, Brazil comes with a B-side, Chile comes with a B-side, it's not going to be nearly as important as it would be otherwise. In the uh, in the Capital One Cup yesterday, the remaining quarterfinal match, Liverpool crushing Southampton 6-1. to Jurgen Klopp with magical fairy dust or something. I, I don't know. Daniel Sturridge returning from injury to score twice in that romp. Uh, good news for Liverpool as they get back one of their more important goal-scoring players. All right, so again, the FIFA scandal has erupted again. We will keep track of that throughout the morning. We've got this show, then we've got the SiriusXM show. Make sure you tune in if you're a SiriusXM subscriber. Coming up next on Soccer Morning, Eric Gomez will join us to talk about all of the news out of the Mexican soccer world. That includes, again, the Liga playoffs, which are into the semifinals tonight. Carlos Vela and whether or not he ends up in MLS couple of teams angling for his signature. I believe the Colorado Rapids are out of that running. No surprise to anybody. Chicharito Hernandez t- uh, tearing it up in Germany, of course. Uh, Piojo now at Tijuana and, and whatever else is on the table there uh, in Mexico where it is, uh, there is never a dull moment at all. All right, let's do that. Let's get Eric Gomez on the line. You will join us then. It will be a good time. Uh, yeah, stay right there. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we are back on Soccer Morning, and we are joined by a good friend of the program, Eric Gomez. Eric Gomez, 86 on Twitter. Uh, you can follow him there for all of his current projects, which I'm sure there are many, uh, and they are wonderful. Uh, hey, hi, Eric. How are you? <laughs> uh, there are many. Let's hope they're wonderful, but yeah, that's the there idea. You, uh, I, you know, we, we just outlined, before we came on the air, we outlined what we're going to talk about. It's all very Mexico-focused, right. and rightfully so. But I, I have to ask you, since this is all breaking this morning, what you make of the, the word that we have lost yet another CONCACAF president? 
Well, I, I love the um, the political quotes that we get after these these types of situations, and the fact the fact that you have the the acting FIFA president nodding off in in a press conference, you know, major surgery or not, man. I mean, if I'm if I'm having health issues, uh, I'm not showing up to to one of those. Um, but you know, the the quotes are, are fantastic. You know, well, this just shows us that we are in dire need of reforms. I mean, we're down to like the 58th string CONCACAF president at this point, so that, that's got to be worrying to everybody involved in the Confederation. Um, ideally, you would want somebody, I think, at this point, who's an outsider uh, from the FIFA CONCACAF Carnival milieu, who's able to bring a fresh perspective and, uh, well, you know, is just going to keep his, his liberty at this point. He's not going to be extradited to the United States for massive corruption charges. I mean, I'm still worried about Copa America Centenario, not in the sense that we are not going to enjoy it as fans and as journalists and whatever, just the legality of it and, and the issues that are going to be ongoing, I yeah. think, uh, because of the people who are involved in, in, in building these tournaments. So it's it's just astonishing to see that we're still talking about this uh, months after the fact. Yeah, Sam Borden from the New York Times, who um, obviously was on the ground in Zurich for yet uh, another round of arrests, says that his sources say that, that the Copa America Centenario is not under threat, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to have a bumpy ride from here to when that tournament actually kicks off. Uh, I've even, you know, I've even heard some some uh, word out of South America that there are a couple of, of countries, at least one country, that is considering bringing a B side, which obviously takes some sting out of the out of the tournament. I think Sampioli from Chile may not bring his best side. I, I don't know for sure, but that's something to consider. And then there's the commercial rights and all those murky, dirty things that that have brought uh, so 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 many of these figures down. All right, that aside, let's talk about the, the soccer, the, the football on the field. Uh, it is playoff time in Mexico. The Apertura has ended. We've got, we're actually into the semifinal round of the, the Ligia. We haven't had any chance to talk about this, Eric. Uh, so give me a, give me a picture right now. I know, uh, first leg semifinals tonight. Well, first and foremost, I don't, I don't work for the TV company anymore, but, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, America versus Pumas, and then I believe it's 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Tigres versus Toluca, so find those on your dial. Um, very good football matches tonight from Mexico, and I think the most interesting thing going into this, these semifinals is the fact that America, you know, they are the the team with the most amount of championships uh, in Mexico. With 12, they could go up to 13, but if you recall, they're playing the FIFA Club World Cup later this month, so what happens if America wins the semifinal against Pumas? You go to a Christmas Eve final, uh, December 24th and December 27th is when the Liga MX finals would be played after America would you know, basically cross the Pacific Ocean twice uh, after going to Japan and, and facing potentially Barcelona in a FIFA Club World Cup semifinal. So that's uh, an interesting storyline to, to think that we might actually get championship soccer being played on Christmas Eve. And then the other semifinal, Tigres against Toluca, is a fantastic matchup because there's a lot of just, um, just great backroom stuff going on, some, some great pregame quotes from Tuca Ferretti and, and, and Pepe Cardoso, the Toluca manager. Uh, these two were actually paired together back, I think, in 2003-2004 when Tuca was the Toluca manager and, and Cardoso was the star striker, essentially ran him out of town. So there's some bad blood between those two teams as well. Um, just great rivalry matches. Again, Tigres and Toluca is not a historical rivalry, but uh, 
the people involved in this game are going to make it make it so. And America Pumas, of course, a uh, crosstown derby in Mexico City. There's already been talk about uh, sending about twelve to fifteen thousand police officers to each of those Ooh. games. So that just um, it should be a great <laughs> great ambiance for people going wow. to the stadiums. But uh, but just I you know I think it's strange that in Mexico, especially with the playoff system, you get arguably the four best teams facing each other in a semifinal. And regardless of where they, they ended up um, in the league for the regular season, I do believe that that's the case with America, Pumas, Tigres, and Toluca. I think Leon fans might have something to say about that. But these were the four teams that showed the most amount of consistency. They have the most amount of star power. Just some great games all around for Thursday and Sunday. Yeah, tonight, uh, as you said, um, so the, the first leg, the first leg of these two ties uh, at Club America and at, at Tigres, uh, I would imagine, is there just you mentioned the police, um, and, and that's that's about rivalry. It's about the fans, certainly. But is there has there been an effect in Mexico of uh, of of the the Paris terrorist attacks and, and some of the the more stringent security measures we're seeing? In, in the U.S., we're seeing MLS games where fans are ta- it's taking them hours to get into matches because of pat-downs and, and, uh, uh, and metal detectors. Yeah, and I think the Estadio Azteca, uh, to its credit, is one of those places in Mexico City that has always valued uh, security. Um, you are advised, as a journalist, you are advised, as a fan even, to get there as soon as you possibly can with you know maybe one, two, three hours before the game. Just so you go through the security protocol and you're not hassled uh, and delayed by police uh, uh, and you miss part of the game. Um, Twelve to 15,000 police officers, I think, is mainly to keep the uh, opposing fan bases at bay. But I also think that you know, a little bit more, I think it's, it's quieter in Mexico. That This isn't, uh, this isn't a, um, just a huge news story just yet, I think. Most of it has been has been limited to Twitter banter between uh, you know the regular common folk, but uh, there is a a, a um, underlying threat there. Uh, the fact that uh, ISIS and all these nasty people have named Mexico as part of their worldwide list of targets has to be weighing on Mexico City government officials and Mexican officials in general. So, I would expect um, the people who you know were going to this to this game later tonight uh, to be held up by police um, pretty significantly. And um, in Monterey, that, that's been the norm for years. And I, I think everybody is well aware of the, um, the drug violence issues that Mexico has had over the course of the last decade, a little bit longer than that now. Uh, and um, security at stadiums is always an issue in Mexico. And I think that um, it's not going to be uh, something that... Uh, Ways on people's minds as they go to the stadium tonight, uh, specifically, you know, regarding ISIS and regarding the terrorist threats. Okay. I think they're just used to to having to wait a while to get in the, inside the stadium. You know, you 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 said something. You know, obviously, you, you outlined how Club America, uh, by virtue of their uh, their Concacaf championship, is participating in the Club World Cup, and 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 how the the title game for the Liga could be pushed to 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 Christmas Eve. That's how, how does that? How does that? How would that go over? I mean, I'm just just for culturally. How would that go over? Oh, I think my staff is going to be thrilled that they're going to have to work on Christmas Eve. No, I mean, <laughs> obviously, it uh, it creates a um, a situation that has never happened before in Mexico. I think every time that we've seen a team go into the Mexican League playoffs and then have to go to the Club World Cup, it's kind of a given that they're sending their B team 
to the league playoffs, which is a weird thing to even contemplate at this point, but it has happened in the past. I think America is one of those teams that with their unparalleled ambition, uh, they're not going to give anything away. Uh, unfortunately for them, I think Pumas is going to take advantage of that situation. I think that they're going to try and run them ragged uh, in this first leg at the Estadio Azteca to try and bring that into play psychologically. I think everybody expects Pumas to be the favorite in the semifinal, not just because America has to travel to Japan uh, a few days after the semifinal, but because uh, they, they're the better team, I think. <laughs> they're well-rounded in, 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 on offense. Uh, they have a great defensive unit. Their goalkeeper has been lights out, which is a weird thing to say because Picolin is one of those guys that is constantly trolled by, by Mexican fans. So even within the coaching ranks, you have to expect Memo Vasquez, who has been there before, who has won a title, uh, to have a slight advantage over Nacho Ambriz. But um, if this does go down, uh, you know, I think the the league has to rethink the fact that the game would be played on, on the 24th. I mean, at least make it... 23 and 26. Right. Um, go go to a go to a more MLS like format where it's uh, weekend to weekend. I don't know. I mean, you're going to be stepping on on some people's toes and some people's vacation plans anyway. Uh, might as well make it so that we get the best possible games. I mean, I don't I don't know what the league expects from America after they basically have to circumvent the world twice uh, to get to that point. You're going to get some jet lag players, you're going to get a level of play that is pretty much not worthy of a league final. So, you know, knowing the league, I think we, we, we can expect something else to go down uh, as we get closer to that, if indeed it does happen. So, sorry, so there you go, a little bit of a scheduling issue for uh, for the league as they come down um, to the end here. And, you know, obviously, if, 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 Pumas, if Pumas wins, it doesn't matter. It fixes the problem for right. them. Um, so certainly, I, I imagine some people there at, uh, at Liga Mex are, are hoping for that. All right, let's, uh, let's move on. We're looking forward to those games tonight, uh, the first leg, as uh, Eric said, of the Liga semifinals uh, with Club America hosting uh, Pumas and Tigres hosting Toluca. Let's, uh, let's move on to one of the bigger rumors bouncing around the MLS world right now, uh, Eric, and it's... Uh, the, the fate of, of Carlos Vela and whether or not he ends up in MLS. We heard, uh, we heard rumors that the Rapids were talking to him. There were lots of reasons to be very cynical and, um, and question those rumors, mostly on the Rapids end of things. Why on earth would they spend that much money? They've never spent that much money before. Uh, what, are, what have you heard? Because this has gone a little bit back and forth. In fact, I think his, his agent may have even made a statement that he wasn't sure it was going to happen now. Yeah, uh, there's been a lot of talk about this, and I think the Colorado Rapids angle uh, is Claudio Lopez. And I understand that Claudio Lopez knows the organization, but he also knows Mexican football. He played for America for about three years. Uh, he knows Carlos Vela. He knows what he's able to bring to the table. And you know, what better way to make a splash if you're Colorado than to bring in a guy that <clears throat> MLS has clamored for over the last few years, uh, alongside Chicharito and alongside Giovanni Dos Santos, even then, you have to be skeptical of the way that they would structure that contract, whether they'd be able to pay the reported $8 million a year that Bella is asking for. And not just that, but the $15 million euro uh, release clause that Real Sociedad is seeking to let Villa out of his contract. They're not negotiating with any team. They're practically going out publicly and privately to teams saying, you need to pay 15 million euros to get Carlos Vela. And that's the way it's going to be. Uh, 
certainly there are ways that Carlos Vela can instigate a move uh, elsewhere, whether it be MLS or whether it be somewhere else in Europe. But I don't think that that we're going to get to that point. Now, the report that came out yesterday that I, I quoted and um, I, I, I tweeted out uh, is by a guy named Jesus Hernandez. He works in Guadalajara. He has excellent contacts. As you may know, Carlos Vela still has family in Guadalajara. He played there. He lived there when he was at, at Chivas' academy. And his report is that <clears throat> this weekend, Eduardo Hernandez, uh, Carlos Vela's agent, who is also Chicharito's agent, will be in Columbus for MLS Cup. And he's not talking directly to Don Garver. He's talking to Lino DiQuolo, the MLS vice president, who has basically been taking these negotiations on from MLS's standpoint, is, mm. is what my, uh, my good friend Jesus is saying. The idea is that he's going to meet with MLS, Eduardo Hernandez, and they're going to talk about the three teams that are supposedly in the running for Carlos Vela. What's interesting about this report is that it doesn't mention Colorado, which would be somewhat logical given what we know about the Rapids. Vela's camp is asking for $8 million a year, which would obviously make him the uh, highest-paid player in MLS. And it might sound crazy, but I also tweeted this out yesterday. You know, other attractions and lifestyle and the NBA are factors that Carlos Vela is weighing uh, upon his move to MLS. So you talk about San Jose, well, he's apparently a big Warriors fan. So that's (laughs) something that might sway his decision. You know, he's interested in playing in San Jose for that. Chicago and I think the Red Bulls were mentioned. Um, I spoke to Taylor Twelman yesterday. He mentioned that his sources told him that that Red Bulls were Red Bull was not in play. Um, you know, again, these are just reports that are coming in from different people, different sources, different situations. But I do think that we will see Carlos Vela playing in MLS next season, regardless of of, of the team, regardless of the amount of money that uh, MLS and 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 that particular franchise ends up paying him so that's the key thing that we should uh you know keep monitoring and um if they get 15 million euros to real sociedad that just shows you the just the the level of of um the amount of 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 mexican fans that they're after and and just the importance that they're that they're placing on u.s men's national team players and mexican national team players It's, it's fantastic to see uh, MLS or any league uh, this side of the Atlantic uh, be that serious about bringing that yeah. caliber of player over. That's where I wanted to go uh, with this discussion, Eric, is, is, is what does this say about MLS ambition? And it's, it's, uh, it's, an, uh, it's an interesting situation because if, if MLS was truly ambitious, I mean, we'd be talking about, you know, big money for numerous players, you know, not just strategically placed players like Giovanni Dos Santos, Carlos Vela, there's certainly the U.S. men's national team guys. Um, this is this is again strategic ambition. This is well, we want to we want to maximize or we want to do whatever we can to capture a certain segment of the American soccer watching public, and that a lot of those people are of Mexican extraction. Let's go let's go sign Giovanni dos Santos in his prime. Let's go get Carlos Vela in his prime, and we're willing to pay not only the eight million dollar salary, which would, like you said would make him the highest paid MLS player. But 15 million euros, which as of current exchange rates is something like 16 million bucks. So it's, it's, it's not one to one, but it's fairly close. That, that money's not coming from the Rapids. That money's not coming from the fire. That money's not coming from the Red Bulls. That money's coming from MLS. So it's again, it's a little bit like the Clint Dempsey situation 
Well, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the mechanics were on Giovanni Dos Santos, but they may have been in the same area where it's the league taking on the financial responsibility of getting him here. I think with Giovanni, it was just somewhere around $7 million or $8 million. It was not um, that. I mean, didn't even get into double digits, but it's still a significant amount of money. And, you know, you're definitely talking about a league that is investing in its future, and you're talking about a league that is trying to raise its profile uh, and, and shedding that retirement league label. You're not going after 34, 35, 36-year-olds. You're going after guys who are 26 and 27. Uh, you know, Giovinco is also is a huge example of, of, of strategic investment, as you would put it. Uh, getting a guy like Carlos Vela in his prime is fantastic, but I think that there is a certain amount of um, skepticism when it comes down to the common Mexican fan as to what Vela is actually going to bring to the table. I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to come to the United States and, and, and not perform to his level, but there certainly is a, I guess, a certain amount of worry that he's not going to take this seriously. I think everybody still has Rafa Marquez in the back of their minds uh, when we talk about uh, star Mexican players coming to MLS. I think Giovanni Dos Santos has not been a disappointment by any stretch, but he's a guy who has struggled with injuries. He's a guy who has been inconsistent for the entirety of his career, and his potential is just that at this point, potential. Carlos Vela is a guy who's been fantastic for Real Sociedad over the last three years. So if he doesn't bring that same standard of play to MLS, then there's, you're going to be raising uh, some eyebrows and you're going to be asking some questions fairly quickly. I think the eyes of the entire league are going to be placed on a guy like Vela if he does indeed sign. So regardless of the ambition that the league might have towards signing these types of players, I think you also have to take the profile into account. You know, if you gave me the option of signing Carlos Vela or Chicharito, I would sign Chicharito based on just his level of commitment and the fact that football, soccer, whatever, is the only thing on his mind. Carlos Vela is a guy who has said publicly, I don't like soccer. I don't like to watch the games on TV. I don't especially like to train. It's my job. I treat it as such, et cetera, et cetera. And I would much rather be watching the NBA or playing on my PlayStation. And so essentially the answers that you would get from a you know, 20-year-old college student but Vela is that type of guy. Uh, his, you know, I've interviewed him a couple of times, and it's just so strange to watch him. Just kind of, he's not there. If you don't grab his attention within the first five, ten seconds of a conversation, he's not there. So I think it'll be very interesting because you'll you'll get this mercurial personality coming uh, to a league that will be hinging on his every move, yeah. and uh, regardless of what, where he's playing, he'll be a, a magnet for media, he'll be a magnet for fans, and he'll be a magnet for guys like you and me who love to talk about this t- type of stuff. Yeah, and look, I mean, uh, uh, as you said, an interesting, interesting personality, and that indicates a certain amount of risk on the part of MLS and whatever team signs him that, you know, on paper, you go, all right, 26-year-old uh, Carlos Vela, we, we, look, we know about the, the history with the Mexican national team, uh, but even if you take that into account, it, it makes a lot of sense to to sign this guy and bring him into the league. But with that personality, with those personality quirks, he's going to take. You know, they're going to have to 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 handle him carefully and make sure that they are. I mean, this has been true of his entire career. Make sure that he's you know he's uh, interested and motivated and comfortable. And and that 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 is to me is that that's the biggest challenge with a guy like Carlos Vela because you don't want to spend sixty million bucks on a transfer. And eight million dollars on salary, and have him end up being uh, an absolute disaster. Right, and I think with that amount of money coming into play, I mean, you're not going to sign him to a one-year contract. So I think the overall deal is 
again, we're talking about max salary here. You know, talk about three years at $24 million uh, total. That's a $40 million commitment that the league would be making for one player. Um, your expectation is going to be higher than anybody else. You know, Giovinco, uh, Pirlo, David Villa, anybody. It's not going to be like anything that you've ever seen, maybe except maybe for Beckham. Um, and we all know that there were always questions asked about David Beckham and his level of play um, in his five years, six years with the Galaxy. So I think it's it's just going to be very interesting uh, to see how this all pans out because, you know, in my mind, they're not going to pay him $8 million a year. Um, there were similar things being talked about when Giovanni Dos Santos was, was nearing the league, and I think that this is all just agent talk. You're, you're trying to just play up the angle that this is a guy that you need to pay a premium to get. So why not talk about him being <laughs> the highest paid player in MLS? Um, you know, there's another angle to consider here, and I think that MLS is going after foreign TV markets. We've seen mm-hmm. the Don Garber quotes, the interviews that he's given out, playing up the fact that, you know, we're reaching Latino audiences within the United States, we're reaching European audiences, we're reaching African audiences, etc. Mexico is very interested in bringing MLS uh, to Mexican TV screens as a primetime product. And if you're able to get Giovanni Dos Santos, Carlos Vela, maybe even Chicharito in a couple of years after he's done with Bayer, then you're going to have a very attractive product to bring to Mexican TV screens. And, and we all know that Televisa and TV Azteca pay a lot of money uh, to Liga MX for individual team rights. This would be a league package, and I think that you would be able to get a great amount of money from Mexican TV markets to make that happen. So, you know, from a soccer standpoint, it could be great. It could be terrible. From a business standpoint, I think this is all going to pan out in MLS's favor in the short term, in the midterm. So it's definitely something to keep an eye out for. And I know for fans, it's just going to be exciting to have that type of guy in the league. So here's hoping he doesn't disappoint. Now, a lot of people will say that, uh, you know, signing uh, Dos Santos, signing Vela is sort of, um, you know, the, the opening acts for an attempt to get. Uh, Javier Hernandez into this league eventually. Now, right now, he has no need to be jumping across the Atlantic and joining MLS because he's tearing it up in, in Germany. Let's just check in briefly here because it's been it's been quite the saga. I mean, obviously, the move from Guadalajara to Manchester United was of immense um, you know of of, of immense importance uh, both for for Mexican football for Chicharito himself. He had some success there. It started to go poorly. We had the the Real Madrid loan, and, and he's found himself again. What is it about? Germany specifically in the Bundesliga and this team that fits Chicharito Hernandez? Well, I think you can get that type of information from his agent, Eduardo Dan, the same guy who's, who's working the Carlos Vela deal with MLS. Um, they talked about how he has the full support of the board, full support of the manager, and full support of the team, of, the, uh, of his teammates, which is obviously something that he had never had before. At Manchester United, he had a fantastic first season, and after that, he just kind of you know, faded away. At Real Madrid, he was obviously a secondary player, and now he's the guy in Germany. I think that is what Chicharito was seeking over the course of his European career. I think that at some point, he felt that he could be the guy at Manchester United alongside Wayne Rooney, and it just didn't pan out. Obviously, at Real Madrid, he took the opportunity uh, to just kind of prove himself at the highest level, and it did you know, worked out partially for him, I, I would say. But uh, now that he's at a Champions League 
caliber team, Bayer Leverkusen, a team that is obviously with Bayern Munich, you know, being what they are at this point. They're not going to challenge for the Bundesliga, but they can obviously, uh, you know, hang with them and, and, and be uh, at the top of the league or close to it. Um, that's the type of situation that I think Hernandez was craving for over the, the last four years, basically. He's a guy who is just very sensitive to media attention, very sensitive to what the fans have to say about him. And even in Mexico, it's, it's, it's a polarizing thing to talk about. If you talk about Chicharito, you're either apparently in love with him or, or, or you want him to fail and crash out. Um, when people caught wind in Mexico that he might be going to MLS Orlando City, as we, as we all know, was the, uh, the team in question uh, earlier this summer, it kind of struck a nerve, and I think people understood at that point that everybody was in play. Uh, Mexican national team players were in play. I think Chicharito understands that he has a great opportunity to go to MLS basically at any time during his career and have that same type of ambiance, have that same type of acceptance from the fans and, and from the media that he's currently enjoying in Germany. Now, this is a guy who, again, to the contrary of Vela or to the contrast of Vela, is all about his playing career. He's just, his level of dedication, his level of, um, of motivation is insane. And I think that he wants to be at the highest level, uh, you know, Champions League caliber team for a first rate league in Europe for as long as he possibly can. I don't expect a guy like Chicharito to go anywhere outside of that realm, outside of that bubble for the next uh, three to five years, depending on his level of play. However, we might see him uh, at the tail end of his prime in MLS or in Mexico or wherever he, he decides to go after Bayer Leverkusen, um, you know, fairly soon. He's 20, I think he's 27, uh, you know, how bad can he be at 30? We're, you know, barring injuries, I think this is a player who still has a lot to give for the national team and for any club team that he might be able to uh, to contribute to. So if the offers keep rolling in from MLS, I think they're you know they're going to break him at, at some point. I think he's going to accept an offer to come play in the United States, especially when he's got so many national team teammates who are opting uh, to join MLS. Um, I still don't believe that we're going to see him uh, go to MLS before the next World Cup, for instance. So this is, this is just a waiting game. I think eventually they'll get their man, but it's not going to be as, as, as simple or as clear-cut as, as one might think. Yeah, in the meantime, absolutely on fire at Leverkusen. Um, in fact, it was, you know, the joke was, oh, wait, he didn't score? That's, oh, it's, he's, in a, he's in a rut. He's can't, you know, he can't score anymore. But, of course, uh, it's, it's all because Chicharito has been so successful in Germany so far. All right, uh, we've got a couple of minutes left here with you, Eric, before I have to let you go. I want to touch on um, uh, some other league topics for teams not involved in the playoffs at this point. Again, we're down to our final four, first leg tonight in the semifinals. Uh, one of the bigger stories is Miguel Herrera, Piojo Herrera at uh, at Tijuana. This is um, an interesting experiment. Obviously, he's uh, a, a guy n- known for a particular style uh, of play and a particular s- set of enthusiasms. Does he fit at Tijuana, and what can what can he do at Cholos? Yeah, I think he does fit, and I think we have to realize that even though shows have been terrible uh, for the last year and a half, they have one of the richer people in Latin America uh, signing, signing the checks. So I think that for whatever reason, a lot of people talked about how long and how expensive the stadium uh, work 
was in Tijuana. A lot of people were talking about how they were tied up with some some pretty bad contracts signed during the first couple of years uh, since they came up from from the second division in Mexico. Um, but this is definitely a team that can splash some cash and and, and build a a pretty nice roster for for Pio Herrera, a guy who's used to that type of success with teams like America and Monterrey. He's obviously got something to prove. You know, he's coming off uh, just a mixed bag as as the Mexican national team manager. The honeymoon lasted, I, I would say, about 10 months. And then after that, it was just a whirlwind of media controversy after media controversy. Um, he's shaking up that roster, and I wouldn't expect them to contend for this next tournament. I mean, he would just the mechanics of it, getting seven, eight new players in, getting seven, eight new uh, old players out is going to be very difficult on any team, especially when the next tournament starts in January. But he's going to turn them into a playoff team and an instant con- uh, contender in Liga MX and in CONCACAF. You know, if he's able to parlay his time in Tijuana into another league title, then I think his expectation is that he'll get another national team offer, whether it's a CONCACAF team, you know, the United States, uh, anybody in Central America, etc., or he might be able to get a job in Europe. This is a guy who I think really went past the Mexico-U.S. bubble um, when it comes to media attention and fan attention uh, in Brazil 2014. Uh, you know, you might remember that that little campaign that some you know English fans had to bring him in as the uh, as the national team manager for, for, for England. I think he, in his mind, he does think that at 46 years old, 47 years old, he's still a prime candidate to go and coach a club team in Europe, whatever country that might be, or to pick up another national team offer and, and continue his career there. Um, the expectation is that he remain in Tijuana for at least a year. So it's not a very long-term commitment. I think that he's, if he's able to bring the type of intensity and bring the type of attractive soccer and the success that he had at America, for instance, then the offers will keep rolling in. It's a great situation for him to be in. I think, you know, I can't understate or overstate rather how attractive it is um, to to live and play in Tijuana. You've got the U.S. border. You've got San Diego, one of the nicest cities in the world, just across the border. And, um, you know, it's been joked about. It's been talked about for years. Uh, you know, Tijuana is basically Mexico's MLS franchise. Mm-hmm. You're able to bring in a different type of player, and you're able to bring in a different type of fan just because of your geographic location. Uh, the stadium is fantastic. Uh, the fan base is fantastic. It, it's going to be a great ride for me at Tijuana if the results uh, come in, and I think there's going to be a, a, a good amount of patience for him if if the transformation is not immediate. Look, I think a lot of attention on that club. Not only um, have we been paying attention, have Americans been paying attention, especially Mar- Americans who maybe wouldn't otherwise uh, take, an, uh, take a, uh, an interest in Liga MX. We're going to be paying attention because it's Tijuana, because they have a tradition of having American players, because they are so close to the border and have curried um, uh, American fans, but also now because of Miguel Herrera there. I mean, that, it just amps up the entertainment factor by a, by, by a, a dozen percent. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic for fans to watch. I think this was a, a just a very savvy move by the Tijuana board to bring him in, and the amount of money that they're paying him is, is um, I mean, it's it's a good amount of money. So uh, he's the highest paid manager in Mexico at this point, and I think that uh, if he's able to bring the type of success that he's been able to bring other teams uh, along his 
his career, then we'll see a um, just an extra amount of attention being uh, put on Tijuana, which is something that I understand the owners are definitely in, in, in dire need of. It's going to, again, it's going to be a great ride. Eric Gomez covering Mexican soccer. Follow him on Twitter at Eric Gomez 86 for all of uh, the news out of Mexico, his insight on world football, plus much, much more. Sometimes he and I go after each other. It's a fun time. Eric, appreciate, uh, appreciate the time as always. Good to talk to you, man. Hopefully we'll, we'll get you back, um, after the semifinals, maybe a touch on whenever, uh, the Ligia final might be. Absolutely. I'll be glad to. There you go. There's Eric Gomez. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll, uh, open up the phone lines. Talk to you. It's Thursday. There's the FIFA scandal. We've got U.S. soccer statement on that information coming soon. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. I'll read the book you like. I'll read the stupid one. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We're back on a Thursday edition of Soccer Morning. Phone lines are now open, 646-832-3909 is the phone number. Rocking my L.A. Riot shirt right now. This thing is going to be a collector's item. I, I swear, one day this thing's going to have value. worth. It's going to be higher than the amount of material used to make it. L.A. Riot from uh, my favorite TV show, Matador, which is no longer with us. Rip Matador. Rip Matador, uh, we are following the uh, developing story out of Zurich as uh, more FIFA officials have been arrested. FIFA going through some convulsions of potential reform in the aftermath of that. We've got a U.S. soccer uh, statement on the arrests there in Zurich. Today's event involving individual members of CONCACAF and Commonwealth in no way pierced the integrity of the rigorous safeguards of the United States Soccer Federation required before agreeing to host Copa America Centenario that ensure the tournament is organized and conducted in a way that is open, transparent, and above reproach. The new executive committee that was created to govern the tournament does not include these individuals, and they were never in a position to make decisions that would adversely impact those high standards. As the LOC for the tournament, the United States Soccer Federation remains fully focused on the organization and operation of Copa America Centenario and conducting the tournament in the most professional and highly principled manner possible. Basically, they're saying, hey, you know, don't, don't worry about uh, that tournament. We're all good to go. I don't know if that's going to uh, assuage any fears that U.S. soccer is touched by the continuing corruption or the unfolding corruption scandal. We, we can't be sure of anything at this point. There will be no surprises. If you hear X official has been arrested you will not be surprised because it is impossible at this point with the depth of this corruption scandal to be shocked by anything why on earth would you be shocked to hear somebody's name you know connected to some federation you're aware of has been arrested has been implicated has turned uh it turned evidence become an informant none of that would surprise anybody at this point because that's the depth of the FIFA scandal. I mentioned the reform process again this morning. Uh, Dr. Carard, uh, the chairman of the FIFA Reform Committee, held this very long, very boring PowerPoint presentation on the potential reforms. There's stuff in there about uh, better female representation. That's a good thing, although it doesn't go far enough. That's 
pretty clear. Uh, there is uh, stuff about money in and out. And then for some reason, oh, wait, I know exactly why. For some reason, they decided to throw in the potential of a 40-team World Cup. And, of course, you're like, well, why do you need to do that? Well, they don't. But it does begin the process of trying to distract from the continuing nonsense that's coming out of those chambers in Zurich. By by putting in uh, a 40 team world cup into reform reform that's not reform that's a that's that's throwing a bone to some federations who, who may uh, who may find themselves uh in opposition to FIFA and now may not if you know what i'm saying it's certainly certainly meant as a distraction for the media the idea that we throw out a 40 team world cup and more people uh, focus on that, then focus on all of these other things. Maybe they don't, they don't notice that our reforms don't go far enough. Maybe they don't notice that the reforms don't have the teeth they need to to make real difference. There's a 36-member FIFA executive committee. They're, they're raising the number of FIFA executive committee members. Now, on the face of it, that's meant to spread out that responsibility, uh, potentially keep power from being consolidated by one uh, by certain individuals within that body, but at the same time, you're 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 raising the number of paid positions in that in that particular body and opening it up for more corruption. I mean, it, it seems self-serving on that on that face. I'm looking at this uh, PowerPoint slide. The path forward. Manage the challenges, restore credibility, recover and consolidate. I mean, it reads. If you've ever, if you've ever worked for a corporate, a, a corporation, if you ever, if you've ever been a part of a company that has, uh, you know, a lot of employees, requires a lot of management, has pre- vice presidents and presidents and all of these people. And if you've ever been um, an employee of a company like that, you know exactly what this is all about. This is rearranging the deck chairs. This is not, at least it doesn't seem as though this is real reform. This feels, it feels like, reorganization i made a joke not that long ago to somebody about how the president of a corporation and and the the management team of a corporation really in order to justify their position and their salary every now every six months or so maybe that's a little fast but it depends on the corporation goes through a reorganization we're gonna we're gonna fix we've got issues of efficiency we're gonna move some things around we're gonna change the responsibilities you have a new boss and that boss has a has a new uh, department and we're changing the titles of everybody and it's it's not it doesn't change anybody's job at the at the lower levels if you're if you're one of the people in the trenches one of the grunts doing the doing the actual work it changes nothing about your job but it makes everybody feel good that we're moving things around and that this vice president is now in charge of a, a new initiative to blah, blah, blah. Doesn't do anything. And that's what this reads like. Get the reforms approved. Manage the legal challenges. Ensure operational delivery. Presidential election. Restore credibility. Under this heading, restore credibility. Implement, implement reforms. Strengthen government, governance and standards. Rebuild reputation and trust. Re-energize commercial program. That one's important. Okay. Recover and consolidate. Complete the commercial program for 2018. That's super important. Got to get that done. Got to get all that money in the house. Deliver a successful 2018 World Cup in Russia. Be be recognized as modern trusted professional uh, as a modern trusted professional organization. That's not going to happen. 
It's just, just not going to happen. Let's go to uh, let's go to our man Robert out in LA. What's up, Robert? Hey, good morning, Jason. Good morning, sir. Hey, I wanted to change the subject real fast. I know your this whole FIFA thing's uh, taking over, it's dominating the the soccer news wave. But I want to talk about yesterday's uh, comments uh, Don Garber made. Mm-hmm. He was on a he was not promoting the MLS Cup, which I thought was a good thing. You know, you know how it's called you about cross promoting, but he was on one of these shows and then. The last thing he did was talk about uh, the MLS Cup. They were like talking about, well, it's very interesting because they're actually talking about the, the FIFA thing before this happened. So I don't know if that's coincidence or anything, but they do this thing, and I've noticed it, where they talk about the popularity of soccer because he's still bringing up the World Cup in Brazil, which is a year and a half, almost two years ago. And he's saying like soccer only gets bigger every four years. And now it's just like, can we talk about the MLS Cup? Like the last thing they did was actually talk about the actual teams. They talk about like the popularity of soccer. They talk about Ronaldo or past players from like yeah. the past or like four years ago. They talk about like you know Maradona and Johan Cruyff. And I was just like, and at the very end, they finally say, "All right, thank you, Don Garfer, for coming." And they're like, "Oh yeah, by the way, the MLS Cup is this Sunday." Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I. I don't necessarily blame Don Garber. It's not, I mean, he goes on these shows and he's got these, uh, I mean, I, I, these people don't care. They don't pay attention. They don't know much about the game. And, and, and as I, I've consistently said, eventually these people will age out and eventually they'll be replaced by people who do know soccer. But for the time being, we still have to deal with a bunch of football guys who the, the best they can do when they ask uh, the commissioner of MLS a question is to say, how popular is soccer going to be? And uh, is soccer, uh, have we reached that moment when soccer becomes really popular? And what is it going to take for MLS to be a, a big, I mean, those questions matter to them because they cannot see in, they don't have the understanding of the league to say, you know, well, what kind of, you know, what kind of game are we going to get on Sunday? And, and who should we watch for? And those are obvious questions, but for them, it's still about soccer's popularity because they don't see soccer as breaking through, which is the wrong attitude because it's not, I don't think we, I think we've moved past this notion of soccer breaking through and becoming mainstream. And what we've got now is that soccer is widening its niche or widening its portion of, of fan interest in a way that runs parallel to the mainstream, if you know what I mean. Yes, and I, I know you, you, you've, I know you've done this because I, I've been for a while and you've gone on other radio shows, so you, you've had this experience when you have to talk to a non-soccer guy. It just, I looked at all these quotes and I'm, uh, and then like, he, he couldn't like, I don't know, you relate. I know, I know like, MLS is only 20 years old, so that connection factor isn't there yet, but one of these guys he was talking to since the, the finals in Columbus, Ohio, and one of the guys he was talking about is from Ohio. I thought you can use that to relate to people and say like, hey, small market, Thing, but he was just saying like, oh, uh, uh, what the U.S. national team did in Brazil was great, and if you want to see those favorite players, you can watch them here. And I'm like, uh, that's not exactly true because none of them were there. But it just it's like I I just, I just thought we were past this notion of of the popularity of soccer or talking about or trying to relate with like an old player like Pele or Maradona because I know that's who they know because they don't know who any they don't know Iguain or Kai Kamara or Diego Yeah, yeah. I mean, it takes a little bit. That's the thing that bothers me most about this, Robert, is that it takes five minutes of research. I mean, 
there's stuff. Okay, I, I do my best to know everything I talk to know something about everything I talk about here on this show. But the reason we have guests, the reason that we reach out to people who have better knowledge, is so that I can educate myself as everybody else gets some insight from somebody who actually pays attention. Right. So, but it takes even if there if there's something I don't know, there, there's plenty of stuff that I don't have a full understanding of. But it takes me five minutes of research. I go and I find one article. I Google one article. Um, you know, uh, uh, whatever the FIFA stuff today or or Mexicans. I'm talking to Eric Gomez. Okay, what's happening in the Liga playoffs? In order to sound at least knowledgeable enough to set him up, all I have to do is one Google search, and that's that's the frustrating thing for guys like, sorry, Mike and Mike, do a Google search. Find out who's on these teams. Say, oh, I've heard Darlington Nagby's an exciting player. Tell us about him. That's it. That's all you have to do. Why can't they do that? Uh, I think it's, it, it's a phrase that my, my parents always taught, taught me. It's that it's easier to do something, but it's easier not to do it. <laughs> if you understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got you. Uh, it's right. just a, a life lesson that I learned. And I know you got other callers. Uh, I'll just say one more thing, Jason. It's like, Whenever you watch, hear these things, whenever they say like a certain player from like a, a, a previous generation, and I've, I've noticed, whenever they say like Johan Cruyff, I think that's like the key word that the the person has no idea anything about soccer when they use. I've heard of him. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, Robert, I appreciate the call, man. I got to, I do have to move on. Thank you, Jason. All right, there goes uh, Robert in LA talking about Don Garber and the media blitz. Let's go to Roberto in Connecticut. What's up, Roberto? Hey Jason, how are you? I'm I'm doing okay. Ah, well, that's good to hear. I um, I just heard about the FIFA scandal at like two in the morning when I heard when I got the notification, and I was a bit shocked, honestly. You know, don't you think? Well, what's your opinion on all this? I mean, you know, I, I, I I'm not shocked. I, I'm not, and I said it before. How can you possibly be shocked anymore by anything that happens when it comes to FIFA? And again, if if and I don't, I'm not implicated. I mean, I'm I'm not throwing out accusations. I don't know that anybody's involved. But if we heard that somebody in this country, somebody with the Mexican Federation, somebody with, I mean, somebody that we've heard of and that we know and that has uh, a, a, an important role to play in American soccer, was indicted, how would we be surprised? I wouldn't. You know, honestly, yeah, you're right. I think you're you have a point there. But um, yeah, it's just incredible how um. All the Confederation presidents are going now. The CONCACAF, Commonwealth. I mean, well, what's next? You know, it's Platini. Platini obviously had his own problems. Who knows who's next? You know, yeah, what, yeah. Does, what does this mean for FIFA now in the I, future? I, I don't. I don't know who's the ne- who the next uh, CONCACAF president's going to be. That we got to figure that part out. I mean, you know. It's I, I I when you're a kid and you go through like civics class or or whatever you learn about the you, you learn about the line of succession from the president it goes president vice yep. president speaker of the house on down the line and the, you, there's like you know there's like a third fourth fifth guy that nobody really thinks about that's where we are with Concacaf now we're getting to the point where it's like who's next I don't even know who who's next. Do you think Sunil Bilotti might be in charge of Concacaf? No, I don't think so. I don't I don't think he's. Uh, I, I don't think he's the guy. I'm not sure who the guy is. I'm going to check in with some people who have a better understanding of the, again, the line of succession there. But I don't think, I don't think that um, uh, that Gulati's in line for that. I think it's probably. In fact, I saw I saw our friend uh, Jonathan Tannewald on Twitter say it might be Ted Howard, who's an American and right now is the the uh, deputy general secretary for Concacaf. Oh wow! 
So it might be him. That's incredible. Yeah, he's oh, he's exce- he's succeeded Chuck Blazer. So <laughs> yeah, and then obviously uh, he actually succeeded Chuck Blazer, and then he was ex- then he was replaced by Enrique Sanz, and we know what happened to Enrique Sanz. He was pulled in by <laughs> all the indictments. So uh, oh, you don't know. Yeah, I don't know, Roberto. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a messed up world we have there, that's for sure. And I'm just on my second question. I was wondering on your thoughts of um, Real Madrid feeling an ineligible player. I'm sorry, say, uh, that, one more, say that one more time. Uh, Real Madrid feeling uh, oh. feeling a, uh, uh, a player, uh, Dennis Christian. So 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 ridiculous, right? I mean, I, I don't that that kind of oversight cannot happen. And I don't know if it's if it's on Rafa. I don't know if it's on somebody in the in the office there at Real Madrid. I don't know if it's on the player himself. I mean, I think you should be aware of these things. I know you want to play, but you also don't want your team to be eliminated from the tournament because they they broke the rules. I just don't think there's any excuse at all. Hmm. I think someone had to remind Benito of that, but now more pressure is coming at the club right now, don't yeah. you think? If they get because kick- of the loss. If they, if they get kicked out of, of Copa del Rey, um, especially in the light of the loss in the Clasico and, and they're falling behind the league. I mean, again, the Champions League is going well. And I, I've heard, I mean, we talked to David Cartledge yesterday. He suggested that Rafa stays on as long as they don't crash out of the Champions League. But this, this Copa del Rey thing is so ridiculous that you could see him going down for it uh, as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Appreciate you. Good stuff from Roberto up in Connecticut. Uh, both those guys have shirt numbers. I didn't reference them. Uh, if you got a shirt number, call in and tell me your shirt number when you call. Because I think if you, the, the, there's there's an element of pride here. And by the way, maybe that's what I should do. I should we should get like, well, we should they should say soccer morning on them. But maybe I should make be responsible for making, um, shirts soccer morning shirts for those of you who have been issued shirt numbers, and maybe we should put the riot logo on them just uh, in memory of of the show. Matador and uh, and the story. The reason I wore this today, I was thinking it's been sitting in my office for a while, and I haven't worn it in a while. And I, the reason I decided to put it on is because it fits what's happening in Zurich right now. We had this show, which was about a guy um, undercover with the CIA as a player in a soccer club whose owner was part of a global conspiracy. And I'm thinking that that just works today. That just works within the the whole FIFA nonsense. Let's go to Andrew. In Tennessee. Hey, this is Andrew. Um, I'm curious. You know, we talk a lot about uh, you know need independent reform and all those things. What do you think it's really going to take for Concacaf or U.S. Soccer, but specifically Concacaf, to actually get somebody independent? And in? everyone have to get arrested before that happens? Or well, who's that person? I mean, I you know, I, I heard I heard Eric Gomez say it, and I'm sitting there thinking, who is that guy? I mean, what do you do? You hire? Do you get somebody like? You know, he was he was he was put up there as a potential FIFA presidential candidate because of his independence. But if you, do, you, do you suggest a guy like Mitt Romney to be Concacaf president? I mean, what do you? Who are we talking about here? I mean, yeah, that, that's of course, I guess, question number two. I would think there's a lot of people who've been successful in the business world. Um, I mean, politics is a whole other matter, but that would be an option as well, but it just feels like as long as we have people from inside, it's just an ending, unending stream of not only corruption, but of arrest and bad publicity. I mean, this is just repeated the same story over and over. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. And, and, and that's, that's the troubling thing because, again, the end is not in sight. I mean, do we see that FIFA has this big presentation about reforms today in the aftermath of, of more people being arrested, and it still does not feel like we're making any progress, and it still does not feel like there's an end to this that, is a, that results in everyone being happy about the way soccer is governed. It just doesn't, there, there cannot be an end that's going to satisfy everybody because the only thing that's, that's even, that even seems like it might be a step in the right direction is tearing the whole thing down. But if you tear the whole thing down, you cause a host of other problems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, could you ever see, and this is obviously all conjecture, but FIFA or stepping in and appointing somebody in some of these really, really troubled areas, just like Comable or CONCACAF, to keep getting their president indicted and arrested? They're not supposed to do that because these 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 um, confederations are supposed to be operating independently of FIFA. In fact, there were a lot of uh, a, a lot of suggestions today after the arrests that FIFA would just paint this as a CONCACAF comable issue and not as a FIFA issue. And that, oh, this isn't, this isn't FIFA corruption. This is specifically America, America's corruption. And that's their problem. I mean, that's, that's part of the issue with the world, the governance of world football is that all these things, all these lines cross and all these bodies share members, but they want to, when, when the, the rubber meets the road or when the shit hits, sorry, when the crap hits the fan, they want to distance themselves from each other as a man, as a, as a means to protect themselves. And that's, as long as there's not going to be, a recognition of responsibility, we're not going to make any progress. Yeah, that's the, uh, the unfortunate part. And on a slightly related note, uh, how long till this poor hotel in uh, Zurich stops getting uh, any business from anybody uh, from Viva? <laughs> the, the, is it the, uh, what is it called? I can't remember. And my French is not good enough that I trust. I mean, it's it's okay. But Bauer Olak. Bauer Olak uh, in, in, in Zurich. Yeah, you know what? Uh, FIFA may have to change their their <laughs> their hotel of choice. Uh, just ridiculous stuff. Appreciate the call. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Thank you. There goes uh, Andrew in Tennessee. Wrap this up uh, this edition of Soccer Morning with Mike in Philly. Mike, you're on the air. Hey, Jason. I actually wanted to change directions a little bit away from the FIFA headaches. Uh, wanted to know your opinion on the homegrown player issues and how a lot of them are fizzling out, not really uh, pushing through getting legitimate minutes or panning out. Uh, what's the solution there? And uh, is it an issue that these kids are burning out or is it just natural? Should, should we allow them to they get their shot? If they don't work, hey, you, you get cut, your career's over. Well, okay, look, the the clubs have to do right by the players. I mean, we've seen plenty of clubs who have, Use the homegrown player system for, for, for lack of a better way of describing it, uh, PR reasons. I mean, it's, it's just a matter of, oh, look, we've signed a kid out of our academy. Woohoo. You know, celebrate us. And then those kids don't go anywhere, don't do anything, don't contribute, don't get a chance to play and develop. And then they get cut three years later and we're supposed to forget, uh, you know, we're, we're supposed to still be crediting that team with developing a player. That's ridiculous. MLS has to do a better job of incentivizing teams to play these kids. And and maybe the USL partnership still needs to mature to the point where these kids get an opportunity. I mean, um, you know, you look at somebody like Jose Villarreal with the LA Galaxy. Not he came, he came up. They signed him to the senior team. He made a, an immediate impact. We got excited about him, but he clearly wasn't ready. 
and consistency was a problem, and, and maybe he wasn't ready to be a full professional at that level. He went on loan to Mexico. That didn't do anything for him. Then the USL partnership kicked in. They start Los Dos. He gets an opportunity to play, and now he's being touted as a guy that could potentially replace Giassi's artist should they sell Giassi's artist. So that works. That's a good path. Are enough teams exploring that path and getting uh, have do enough teams have the means to give those players that opportunity rather than signing a kid at 18 throwing him into your senior squad obviously he doesn't count against your salary cap so you're then able to spend money on other players i mean that, that's the thing it's 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 good that a homegrown player doesn't hit your cap but if you're just using that as a means to to free up money so you can spend more on um on another player then that that doesn't do the play, that doesn't do the homegrown player any good it's it's MLS needs to be, do a better job of making the incentive balance out with the playing time. Well, I, I mean, I get what you're saying, but sure, aren't the teams if they're investing like Dallas is obviously investing a lot of money into the academy? Uh, Philly claims to be investing a lot of money into the academy. I'm sure they are. Okay, that's school going, but. Uh, if they really want to return on investment, they're going to have to take a route like the Galaxy are doing and like all the NOS teams with these USL Pro teams to properly develop the players rather than, like you're saying, use it as a PR move. But, I mean, is there... I guess I'm trying to figure out, is there a responsibility of the player saying, hey, there's clearly no space for me on this senior team. Why would I ever sign a home run? contract sure and a lot of guys are still turning down those contracts to go to college that's still a thing that's happening uh and and, and ultimately you know I, i'm all for personal responsibility and, and and the players have to be cognizant of of what's best for them but that's sometimes very difficult to know and if a if a team comes to you and says we're going to give you i mean it's not a lot of money in a lot of cases right i mean we're talking about jordan morris getting the biggest homegrown contract offer in mls history and i'm sure it's not more than uh, you know, a couple, like $100,000 or in that area, it's probably six figures, which is a lot of money for a kid, don't get me wrong, but it's it's not as though these guys are getting big contracts right out of the academy. So they have to decide, do I, and, and look, it's a matter of personal belief. If you're 18 or 17 and the team comes to you and says, we want to sign you to a contract, you go, right, well, that means they believe in me. I know I'm good. I can go and do this. And, and I don't know if I blame a kid for taking the opportunity. So it's kind of, it kind of cuts both ways, Mike. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair argument. I guess I'm just, I think we're going to be sh- seeing more and more teams. I, there's going to be less of the PR moves because it, it does seem like teams are investing more in their academy. So why would they, if they want the best return on their investment for all the money they're pumping into these academies, they're going to have to find a way to properly develop them and properly well that's that, that, okay so, but when but what, what 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 needs to happen and this is an individual club issue as much as it's an mls issue but we need to reach that tipping point where um it becomes important to get something out of the academy to to make these kids into players to give them the opportunity to improve and that's more important than saving the cash on the on the salary cap by signing a guy who doesn't hit your cap you know what i'm saying so you know, again, when you sign a player out of the, the the academy, they don't take up a roster spot, they don't take up salary cap space, but they're a body, they're a guy that you have in training now, and your incentive to play them isn't there unless, like you said, 
now it becomes crucial to do that because of how much money we've invested in our academy. So uh, that's it's on it's incumbent on MLS to push teams to invest in their academies. And again, maybe it's not the league's responsibility, but at some point the teams have to feel the pressure to give these kids a chance to play, whether it's at USL level or MLS level. Uh, speaking about having the pressure of playing these people at the MLS level, I mean, aside from a team tanking early, though, is the playoff system not a little detrimental? Because if there's always that chance in the back of your mind that, hey, we can scrape in as a sixth seed and get into the playoffs, why are we going to give these young kids a chance? Sure, sure. I think that there are a lot of, I think by nature, coaches are conservative. By nature, the, the, the playoff system creates a safety net that does not incentivize, uh, teams to experiment. Um, that's, that's true of not just the, who the, who the coaches play, but who the owners and the, and the clubs hire as coaches. Um, or, or whether or not they fire a coach after a bad year. Well, or, or, or even through a bad first half of the season. Well, there's still a chance. We're only eight points off a playoff spot. I mean, that leads to a, a pretty conservative league overall. So, how we break up those thought processes that that's an interesting question mike and and i don't i'm not for destroying something to to shake it up i mean we there needs to be some incentive i just we should ide- we should be very careful about identifying how to Im- implement those incentives i mean you know down in mexico they had an issue with with young players not getting playing time and they and they they mandated uh players under 23 had to get a certain amount of minutes out of a club season they took that away because Eventually, clubs decided it was in their best interest to play these kids, and they didn't need the rule anymore. Maybe MLS has to go in that direction. Uh, I would hate to see that direction. Yeah, I would hate a uh, imposed limit for young players. But uh, I, I really, I firmly think that USL is the answer. I think every MLS team needs to get on board, uh, have a team that they control all player operations, and. Uh, you know, just get these guys minutes, let them develop, and I think it would really pay dividends. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we see that uh, that coming. All I care about is Tommy Thompson playing. Can we just get Tommy Thompson on the field, please? <laughs> Thank Dom Kinnear, play Tommy Thompson. Dom Kinnear is not a guy who plays young players, and that's why I worry about him. Uh, and with Tommy Thompson at at, uh, at San Jose, I mean Tommy's still a young player; he's twenty years old. But it's time get him in the game. Mike, appreciate the call. Go River Dogs. There you go. <laughs> you got to say River Dogs. The River Dogs. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Eric Gomez for his excellent contributions today. We'll be back tomorrow. Big Friday. Oh, tomorrow we're going to do a season wrap-up spectacular. Rapid fire predictions for MLS Cup. That's coming. Stay tuned for that. See you then. Bye. We'll